pushes away from McCulloch. Thurston gets the ball to Morgan. Morgan crosses the 20. Comes away to O'Neill. Gets the Welcome to Above the Horizontal, a podcast about rugby league. I'm your host, Bo Nicholson. It's Origin Week and Game 2 of the men's and the standalone game between the women will be the primary focus for us this week as I'm joined by Daniel Friend and Kieran Gibson. Should be fun, so stick around. We have three of four of the panel tonight. Unfortunately, Miles is out for one week with grade one refusing to do his tips. So <laughs> he has been sat out uh, for this week. His bowl prediction, though, last week was actually fairly strong. He suggested that Tom Dearden against the Sharks would get two try assists and 150 kick meters. And uh he did get the kick meters, and he got one try assist and one try, so he was pretty close, uh, but no cigar for Miles there. Kieran, welcome to the show. Kieran Gibson, you got five out of eight last week, mm-hmm. and you predicted that the Panthers, Knights, and Raiders would win 13+. plus. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it didn't go too well. Uh, the Panthers got up, and then... Uh, as soon as Ponga got ruled out, uh, I didn't think. I still thought the Knights would win, but I didn't think they'd cover 13 plus. And I really didn't expect the Raiders to lose, especially at, at 20 to eight up uh, in the second half. But uh, kudos to the Dragons for their fight back, and uh, not a, not a good week for me. So hoping to bounce back this week. Yeah, uh, we saw a bit more ticket from the Dragons than we did the Raiders. I'm afraid, so that let you down a little bit last week. Friendy, you had a bit of a Blitz getting seven out of eight. Welcome to the show. You uh, you also had your bold prediction was that Alex Johnston, Josh Adokar, and Jason Saab would all score two tries or more. You um you were let down by a surprising person out of that three. G'day, Bo. Hey, Kieran. Um, yes, I was. So fancy Melbourne scoring sixty six points and the Fox not crossing the stripe. Um, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, seven out of eight, and I guess two out of three ain't bad as they say um for as, the bold prediction as meatloaf yes. says indeed yes yeah the great <laughs> meatloaf so yeah but um not a bad week uh see if we can repeat the dose going into origin yes uh, i've got a feeling you'll have a very new south wales centric bold prediction but i could be wrong on that one uh later in the episode my tips i've got six out of eight i'm pretty happy with that that's a lot better than my average which is about uh two or three no not really um and my ball prediction came up i was really happy with it um ronaldo molotalo to score a try against the cowboys and gain origin selection for queensland in the squad he has been named as number 19 it's not quite what i thought i thought he might actually sneak into the starting side but I'm going to take that one, I reckon, because that's technically true. He did get origin selection for Queensland, and we'll see. He may even sneak his way into the team come Sunday evening. So that's a, that's a bowl for me. The first of the season, I'm taking it all the way to the bank. Uh, you can save your applause, guys. Don't worry. Don't worry. I'll just edit that out. Uh, <laughs> um, guys, what did we learn from last week? Kieran, what did you learn? I learned we are going to have a second season running without a Queensland team in the final series. The Titans, Broncos, and Cowboys just don't look up to it to me, and I'm prepared to say other teams will pip all three into the remaining final spots. 
Oh, you know how to break my heart early in an episode, Kieran. <laughs> that's, that's, that hurts. Uh, Friendy, did you learn anything from last week? Well, I really like that part of uh, Kieran's one. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I learned that uh, Peter Volandi's gun administrator, rubbish rulemaker. So in a bid to even out the possession flow, it looks like the NRL, they're sort of tinkering with the idea of the old, remember in the backyard, winner's kick. So if you score the try, you would mm. then kick off. So it gives, so to me, it screams a bit of, hey, everyone gets a go. Um, when it's yeah, it's professional sport, I think we've had enough rule changes for the moment. So I think uh, Pete should maybe just stick to running the game, which I think he's he's very good at the administration side. But rule making, maybe leave that to to guys that have yeah sort of played the game or understand it slightly more. If they can sneak that rule in for Origin, that'd be good though for Queensland. Well, see, I'm not so sure about that. Like, I, I kind of <laughs> like I get what you and I get I kind of get the idea, but like at the same time, you would have the team, uh, you know, receiving the ball, you know, say, say for example, the, the Seagulls got on a massive roll against the Titans in the second half and the Titans had basically no ball. So the Titans would have got more ball if the Seagulls kept scoring, but they would have got that ball under pressure at their own end. In um, the red zone, yeah. Yeah, like I'm not sure it's quality ball you're looking for. And as a Maroons fan, I hope they don't sneak it through <laughs> for <Yeah>. Origin <laughs> 2. Um, I learned that in Brisbane, it's considered worse to be supporting the Broncos than other cellar dwellers. I was having a chat with a teammate at indoor cricket last night, and he was saying he got into a verbal with Kerrid Walters a few years ago in, a, <laughs> in, in an elevator, as it turns out. Uh, shocked because I thought he was a Broncos fan. I said, aren't you a Broncos fan? He looked at me as if I had killed his mother and said, said, no way. I'm a Tigers fan with like a lot of pride, which I found odd. Uh, it's <laughs> with, with, with with more pride indeed than I had seen from any Broncos fan for 18 months. So like, while it's good to see some Tigers pride and a shout out to our good friend, Chris Waring, I didn't realize how embarrassing it was to be a Broncos fan until that very moment. So uh, a little, little shout out and uh, a little bit of a backhander to the Broncos as well, which I quite enjoy. Guys, it's time for our wildcard awards for the, for the round that has been. I'll let you go first, Friendy. What's your wildcard this week? My wildcard award for this week, Bo, is Everyone in Queensland Camp is Dying Again Award. <laughs> uh, as per usual, yeah, Queensland are up to their old tricks, and this time it looks like it's Jai Arrow's go to be the, the ill soldier. Uh, he has an oral infection, so, I, I, yeah, I'm not too sure what the Queenslanders, Queenslanders get up to in camp, but it's 2021, so good luck to Jai and the lads up there, um, whatever they're into. Um, yeah, I think that's, that's my award for this week. Yes, the uh, Denon Kemp actually mentioned that it may have been a serious case of chafe um, that <laughs> took, that took Jai Arrow down. So, uh, not too sure exactly what's happened there, but yes, uh, I'm sure it won't be the last that we hear about of Maroon's injuries. And it is a nice little uh, excuse. I've I've heard people talk about you know Dan Gagai got absolutely flushed by. Uh, by he was up against uh, Latrell, wasn't he, in Origin One? It's yep. like, well, the guy just came out of hospital, and it's like, yeah, if that's true, that's good. But also, it's a good excuse when <laughs> when we lose by forty four points, isn't it? Yeah, I, I think Jai might have like a bit of a tickle in his throat, and the doctors give him <laughs> some antibiotics, and he may have given them to him on the hospital premises, maybe. <laughs> and they've spun that to make it sound like, yeah, um, Jai is in hospital with an infection. So, yeah, uh, good luck, Queensland. 
can also trust, uh, can always trust Peter Bedell from the Career Mail to spin a yarn, I'll tell you that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Kieran, what's your wildcard award this week? I've got the, the Luis Suarez Award for not lacking any bite, which goes to the Melbourne Storm for their ruthless demolition <laughs> of the Tigers on the weekend. Uh, I'll just leave it at that for the heartbroken Tigers fans out there. Yeah, I think that's fair enough. And, and good chat with Luis Suarez. Suarez sorry. Uh, that's fantastic. Uh, mine is, to touch on what you sort of mentioned with what you learned, Kieran, uh, mine mm. is the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde Award for Split Personalities, which goes to the Raiders and the Titans, who I expected much more from this season. The Raiders particularly were one of those big six at the start of the season, while the Titans were expected to maybe round out the eight or thereabouts. Uh, both have been immensely disappointing, and their second half fades, particularly after such promising first halves, must be killing their coaches. So they get the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde award for this week. Guys, let's jump into some news. Chad Townsend has played his last game in a Sharks jersey. Uh, he has signed with the Warriors until the end of the season, at which point his deal with the Cowboys for three years, starting next year, will be activated. So basically, the Warriors are sort of warming uh, Chad Townsend up for the Cowboys, essentially, uh, <laughs> while also he'll be replacing uh, Chanel Harris-DeVita, who, uh, of course, had that terrible, terrible injury recently. So my question to the panel, is the Chad, Tans- Chad Townsend signing a good piece of business for the Warriors, or do you think it's maybe a little bit confusing? I'll start with you, Friendy. Uh, what do you make of this one? Uh, I'd be thinking... The Cowboys would almost want him to stay in, in the Warriors colours for next year too and get out of that massive $800,000 contract. Um, <laughs> I'm not a major fan of Chad at all. Um, I, I think he's a, to be honest, he's, he's just a bang average halfback. Um, I, I Yeah, it may help them a little bit for this year, but to be honest, I just would have um, whacked Nicarima at seven, Reese Walsh at six, and Roger Tuovasashek. I think he can play played a bit of fullback hasn't he so <laughs> that would have been my move but if they want to get um chad in there then uh, good luck to him i guess yeah like are the warriors a a reasonable chance of of playing finals football for you friendy do you think and and does chad sort of give them that that depth uh come finals time do you think it probably does put... I'm, I'm probably being a little bit harsh on him. So he, he does have a decent kicking game and, he, and he's an experienced player, um, which is something that they, they are sort of lacking in that, that halves um, area. So it, it may work out well for them. I think the loss of Wade Egan... I really rated the Warriors this year to sort of maybe finish in that seventh or eighth sort of position, but mm. losing their, their main uh, number nine... I, I can't see them sort of scoring enough points now. Um, he's, he's very crafty out of their way, Deegan. I think he's probably had his best year in first grade this year. So without him, um, they've lost Chanel Harris-Tavita, who's yet yeah, obviously got a bit of flair with the ball, but he's very strong defensively for a half. Um, mm. With Townsend there, without the ball, I mean, yeah, he's, he's a bit of a liability defensively. So I, I don't think it strengthens them um, all that much. Fair enough. Uh, Kieran, do you echo um, Friendy's sort of wish for the Cowboys that Chad Townsend just, after being in New Zealand previously, by the way, he has played for the Warriors previously, that he just falls back in love with Auckland and just stays there? Yes, absolutely. I, I don't know if he's if he's going back. Is he going back to Auckland? Well, I suppose um, not. He'll be going to the Central Coast, won't he? 
Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, hopefully he just falls back in love with the the playing squad and and doesn't want to leave the boys because um, that that would just be wonderful for the Cowboys. I, I don't really want him, but I think it somewhat makes well it, it makes sense for the Warriors. They uh, lost Paul T- Turner to the Broncos, who mm-hmm. could have filled in. Um, uh, the Broncos actually have about eight halves that the Warriors could have had a look at, but I, I think Townsend's probably the the better choice. Um, go, going off. Uh, just his skill set. I don't rate him that highly, Townsend, but uh, maybe it's even good for the Cowboys just that he's playing because we are getting him next year. Um, hopefully he can play his way into some sort of format. And I actually hope he goes well with the Warriors. I, I would like to see them in the in the final series, but um, I'm not sure if they will will either. Uh, I, I rated them too about two, three weeks ago, but I think their form has dropped off a little bit and Personally, I, I would have gone with what friends said as well. I think RTS at fullback, uh, Walsh at six, and uh, uh, Nikarima at seven would have been good for them. While that team probably lacks a bit of organization and direction, the one that you just mentioned, seven, six, and one, uh, I think that throws a lot of uh, attacking flair at any particular team. And you could attack both sides of the ruck with that with that particular formation. So I too would have gone that way. Um, all I really have to say about this, it is a bit confusing to me. And what is confusing to me is just recently with the players poll, Chad Townsend was rated the fifth best halfback in the comp, which I think is the surest sign, if anything, that the rugby league and Asada need to up their drug taking bloody um, <laughs> tests and checks on players because <laughs> I don't know what's happened there, but, but uh, a bunch of clowns have made that decision as far as I'm concerned. But uh, like you, Kieran, I hope he does well because it looks like the Cowboys will be having him for at least the next couple of years. So uh, if he's going to be there. He may as well be playing good <laughs> football, right? So let's hope that happens. Um and Friendy, you mentioned earlier about uh, rule changes uh, with, with a bit of Volandi's ball. Well, Kieran has thrown in the suggestion here that it could be time, potentially, for a captain's challenge for shoulder charges, or perhaps even more, in the NRL, off the back of Graham Annesley ruling that Reese Robson was incorrectly sin-binned uh, on, the, on the weekend against the Sharks, which was costly, as it turns out. The Cowboys going down by two points. Friendy, do you think that's a, a sensible rule change? Yeah, the captain's challenge would certainly help because the players have the most idea of the tackle they're making or, or the person that's coming at them, how their body's moving. Like the Robson one on the weekend, it, it, there's no wonder he, he got off. And same with Taukeaho. Like, that they can't actually go anywhere when the person is two feet away and in a certain position and then obviously their feet go out from under them and the defender just can't vanish. So um, I think the captain's challenge, yeah, good idea. It'd be good to see the refs and the bunker actually use some common sense, which I think um, Graham Annesley has actually said they may now, it may not just be a completely black and white call. They may use Mm. some sort of discretion. So yeah, either way, as long as they're getting the right calls, how they do it, it, it's yeah, that's fine as long as it's the right call. Kieran, you've thrown it into the run sheet. Uh, is that because you think it would be a good idea? Well, I wrote it out of frustration after Robson was uh, simbined on the weekend on Friday night. But I don't know, uh, just hearing what Friend had to say and, and thinking about it um, as he was talking, I, it shouldn't even have to be challenged, really. Like, the, the video ref had reviewed yeah. it himself. Yeah, uh, 
I think that they're just admitting that, like what friends said, they need to use common sense, um, and then the rule will get be uh, adjudicated properly, uh, and the captain challenge won't even be necessary. Um, they had all the tools in the world to get it right, but it's good that Graham Annesley has come out now, and hopefully they do get it right. But on the odd occasion that maybe it, it still goes the wrong way, I w- it would be great to have that captain's challenge up your sleeve to be like nah we want to challenge that the ref can scream in their ear you can challenge it and and i would pray that the cowboys would take it if they were in that position again because it i'm not going to say it cost us it definitely didn't we played poorly but it would have been good to um have that overturned and see what could have happened i just like i'm 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 a bit skeptical i suppose i um I understand that rugby league is officiated by humans and I prefer it that way. And that's why discretionary calls should be a part of the game. Friendy, you had a tweet that went semi-viral um, when, these, <laughs> when these changes started to happen. And it was using uh, a tackle from a cowboy, Lachlan Burr, on James Tedesco, who has a habit of sometimes going a bit low late in a tackle. Yep. And uh, and I think it was a good point. There wasn't much that Lachlan Burr could have done to avoid that situation. Uh, and a discretionary ruling would have got that right. Unfortunately, the black and white gets it wrong. And it's a bad product as a result or a worse product than it would have been. So I'm, I'm, I'm all for discretionary. I think Robson survives on the field. I think Taukiaho does too. The captain's challenge idea I don't think is the right direction because... The referee is all already working in consultation with the bunker uh, to come at these decisions to have Robson in the sin, in Sidbin, for example. So, if the captain was going to challenge it, who are they challenging it to? Like, are they challenging it to Phil Gould in the commentary box because he'll just tell them to play on? Like, um, <laughs> and I guess, I guess, I'm what I'm trying to say is captain's challenge maybe not the right direction because what's currently happening is. The bunker is already involved. Who are they challenging to? I would just be saying, come on, bunker. Come on, referees. Use your common sense. If Nathan Cleary mm-hmm. is a meter off the... Like, as in, literally, his head is a meter from the ground because he's falling, there's no way that a player can get, you know, uh, a good result there every single time. Like, it's just not going to happen. So, uh, that's my view on that. Uh, and I, I do hope that come Origin 2 because I think in Origin 1 they did use discretion a little bit more the referees just a touch um, yeah. I think I think Origin 2 hopefully will be like that as well and speaking of Origin 2 we are about to dive into our State of Origin stuff so we're going to have a short little commercial from Pretty Fly a 90s nostalgia podcast which is my other podcast with Daniel Lang from the Pioneer Australia uh, who Friendy and Kieran and Miles all know quite well from our real sport days and then at halftime we're going to be talking about the gutsiest state of origin victories ever and then after halftime we are going to dive into the women's state of origin for Friday night and men's game two on Sunday evening stay tuned If you can't get enough of Seinfeld, overalls with one of the straps undone, the Chicago Bulls winning championships, and the Brisbane Broncos being a good team, then it's a pretty good bet you love the 90s. If you do, you should tune in to Pretty Fly, a 90s nostalgia podcast, which is brought to you by the We Made This Podcast Network. It's hosted by me, Bo Nicholson, and the founder of the Pioneer Australia, Daniel Lang. It's a conversation podcast where we discuss the pop culture icons of our favorite decade. 
Season 1 is ready to listen to right now, with Season 2 arriving soon. Search for Pretty Fly, a 90s nostalgia podcast, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Welcome to the Halftime Entertainment for this episode. It's got a State of Origin theme, of course, this standalone round of Men's State of Origin Game 2 and, of course, the Women's State of Origin on Friday night has prompted Kieran to ask us the question, what is the gutsiest or bravest State of Origin win we've ever seen? Friendy, you would have seen a bunch of very brave and gutsy victories by both the Maroons and the Blues over your time watching Rugby League. What's one that stands out for you? Yeah, certainly, but uh, the one that stand well, it's kind of one and a half. So, All right. the first one, game one, two thousand and fourteen, up at Suncorp Stadium, the Blues managed to pinch that twelve eight. Uh, Jared Hayne, obviously, is in a sort of different space at the moment, but he had an incredible performance that night. Uh, mm. Probably his best and most willing defensive effort. Uh, he saved multiple tries, cleaned up multiple grubbers, and basically kept us in the game. Um, and then game two, I was lucky enough to be there that night. Um, we, me and my friends did get shirts made up saying one in a row on the back. Um, <laughs> we, uh, yeah, we got home. Trent Hodkinson, the um, famous show and go down in the left sort of uh, corridor there. Um, mm. And the Blues snuck home 6-4 again. Yeah, Hayne, obviously, um, running the ball back into the Blatchy Blues. Yeah, it was a pretty pretty cool moment. Um, may have shed a bit of a tear because that ended the the eight-year streak. Probably sounds a bit silly. But, um, yeah, and may have also stumbled in the door at about 7 a.m. the next morning. So, <laughs> um, that's one of the gutsiest performances I've seen. It felt like the guys defended for the whole game. It felt like Queensland was on our line. Cronk, Thurston, just... Uh, we, I'm not sure how many dropouts we had, um, but there was plenty. And, yeah, the boys stuck it out, got home and um, in the end. And it was great to see Gal finally hold that shield up. I think he deserved it after a, a pretty lengthy origin career. Speaking of gutsy and brave, he was certainly that. Um, I It does not sound crazy to me, by the way, that you shed a tear. I was there when the <laughs> Cowboys won in 2015. I did more than shed a tear. I may have, yeah. uh, I may have cried a river, um, like Justin Timberlake suggested. Were you actually in the blues that he ran towards right at the end, where he stood in front of you guys, arms outstretched? Yep. So we were probably um, right at the back of the the first tier, and when he came back in, we all ran down and um, uh. yeah, got a in packed into the big scrum down there so yeah it was pretty cool um yeah we ended up obviously heading out after that and yeah got the oh i don't even know i think it was the 445 train home to the central coast so yeah it was a big night um but yeah very very gutsy and brave by the blues um very gutsy and brave um for us to get home at that time too <laughs> well done indeed uh, is that before lockout laws really became a big thing in sydney yeah definitely um <laughs> oh it was I think, yeah, around that time. But, yeah, we certainly... Um, the the main gutsy part was the, the hour-and-a-half train trip home. So, yeah, <laughs> that was... But, yeah, m- most enjoyable and well worth it. Absolutely. Uh, Kieran, you mentioned off-air that you had a couple of candidates. Um, yeah. And, well, Friendy had a couple in, in the sense that it was one-and-a-half games there. So, I'll allow it, as Judge Judy might not say. <laughs> um, what do you got for us? 
Well, I could have gone with about a dozen or more uh, games, just given that the fact that so many uh, Queensland players play under an injury cloud going into the game. Um, but I, I have a tie. I have a tie between Queensland's 16-14 Game 3 win in 2006 and and that game that Friendy mentioned, New South Wales 12-8 Game 1 win in 2014 at Suncorp Stadium. Um, mm. Both hide on your sleeve for 80-minute performances. Queensland facing four straight series defeats. And I remember I was nearly crying at the thought of the Blues winning four straight. Um, I was on the ground. Uh, I'd got off the couch and was just sitting on the ground about to bore my eyes and my mum told me not to give up. And thankfully, the the Queensland boys didn't because that was a a, a very satisfying win. And then uh, the Blues looking to end eight straight. um, Both had that siege mentality from both sides uh, and both exemplifying that never say die attitude that we all love about Origin. And I remember in that game, too, that uh, Friendy was mentioning in in 2014, um, uh, Sam Thiday, I can't remember who was the first half or the second half, uh, but... Uh, Sam Thiday was literally about five centimetres away from the ground with the ball scoring a try and Jared Hayne came from nowhere and had the presence of mind to knock the ball out uh, mm. and that's what that's what won the game essentially and <clears throat> I have to echo uh, more of what friends said Hayne was immense uh, and the whole New South Wales squad defensively they were I can remember it so well as well them just defending their line I, I, I think they defended their line the last 20 minutes in game one uh, and somehow didn't concede so Hats off to that performance. If I had to pick one, I, I would honestly go the New South Wales way. Right, that's two votes for uh, for that game one, 12-8 victory in 2014. What I like most about both of those victories was that they were uh, the, well, the, the start of the end of a dynasty, essentially. Uh, for Queensland's one in 2006, it was like Lockyer, Sivanasiva, Steve Price. They've all got question marks over their head about future selections. How crazy mm. did that sound? Uh, yeah. After losing three in a row to the Blues prior to that, uh, and then of course, yeah, the Blues famously lost eight in a row following that 2006 victory for the Queensland, and uh, and amazingly had this tremendous series. And and you're right, Hayne was on a, a different planet. Really, I've gone, I've got an honourable mention to the the uh, game one of 1995, the two nil victory. I'm not sure if that was gutsy or just really bad football. Um, like really, really, like really dour stuff, like a nil all draw in, in, you know, in, in soccer, it's just, it's hard work. Um, and some of the players that played in that series was just abysmal stuff. Um, so, so that, that one gets an honorable mention, but the one that clearly wins for me and I've watched a replay of this. So technically I have seen it uh, and I was also alive for it. I was one years old. Uh, so, um, it was in 1989, uh, and it stands to reason my dad's a big follower of football, so I may well have actually seen it at the time, uh, albeit not cognizant of what happened. It was game two of 1989. Queensland had won the first one very, very comfortably. I think it was like 36 to six or something like that. Um, and game two comes along. And then suddenly, it's just like Injury City. So, like, Alan Langer goes off in the 18th minute. Mal Meninga goes off in the 27th minute. Paul Vorton doesn't uh, return at halftime with a dislocated elbow or something. Uh, Michael Hancock goes down with 20 minutes left. 
Bobby Lind, Bobby Lindner of all people, uh, goes off with a broken leg or something with five minutes left. It's just crazy stuff. Uh, to be clear, that's a that's a halfback, a winger, a centre, a lock, and a back rower. Luckily, Queensland had Michael Hagen on the bench. He was a, a halfback or a five eight. They also had Dale Shearer on the bench, who was one of the great backline utilities, and they also had Gene Miles in the back row who was equally adept at playing center. So they were able to fill those backline positions. And with Gary Coyne and Trevor Gilmeister on the bench, they just made it work in the forwards. Uh, but what really happened in that game was Wally Lewis pulled the strings uh, in a player at the match performance, which was pretty regular for him. But the Maroons won 16 to 12 in a series they would go on to sweep. Uh, you would know... The Wally Lewis try I'm talking about. It's yeah. where like there's like a, a smashed player, a loose ball. They they just go fuck. Where's Wally and pass to him? <laughs> um, he dummies on the inside to no one, <laughs> which fills about three New South Wales defenders, and then he outpaces a young Laurie Daly uh, for 30 meters to score a try to make it 16 points to six. New South Wales did have a late comeback. Uh, towards the end and and the Maroons were essentially playing with 12 when Lindner went off with that broken leg with five minutes left and a four-point lead but that was that game that I'm talking about Uh, it's the state of origin match that Wally Lewis is most proud of and coach Arthur Beetson went on the record to describe Wally Lewis as the greatest player he'd ever seen after what he did so for me it's pretty hard to argue against that one uh, but to be sure there's a, a bunch like four games that we've mentioned there four or five games we've mentioned that are all tremendously gutsy and and to be honest uh, I will sh- I'll throw a little shout out to the uh, New South Wales women's origin of 2019 their victory at North Sydney Oval uh, that was one of the more brutal physical encounters I've seen not a whole lot of injuries but they the, the women were just absolutely bashing each other in that game so a little shout out to that as well and hopefully uh uh, we see a couple of very, very gutsy games uh, this weekend with the uh, the women's state of origin and game two of the men's state of origin, which we will get into right now. On Friday night from Sunshine Coast Stadium, we have the Queensland women up against the New South Wales women. Of course, the Queensland women won 24-18 last year with uh, Taryn Aiken, the player of the match, and, in my opinion, Tamika Upton, uh, who should have been the player of the match. She scored two tries, including one just absolutely brilliant one on the counter-attack, uh, Nathan Blacklock style. So in terms of teams, uh, Coach Tani Norris, who replaces Jason Hetherington uh, to become Queensland's first female state of origin coach, um, she's picked the exact same back line and halves as last year, which makes things nice and easy. Uh, th- so that means that the fullback will be Tamika Upton once again. On the wings, they've got Shanae Sizolka and Karina Brown. And in the sense, they've got Lauren Brown and Julia Robinson. 5'8", as I mentioned, Taryn Aiken, last, last year's player of the match. And Zahara Tamara is the halfback. Uh, in the front row, there is a small change. So there's uh, Chelsea Leonard Doozy, who keeps her spot from last year. Destiny Brill will be the hooker, replacing uh, Brittany Braley, who is not available. Uh, Shannon Marto has moved into the starting side after starting on the bench last year. There's also Tiana Rastrand-Smith, who comes into the side in the back row. Their bench looks significantly different with Romy Tietzel, Natasia Perontakanen, which is quite the name, sounds very Eastern European, and Brianna Clark, who 
comes in to join last year's mainstay, Shania Power. Talisha Harden and Rona Peters are named in the reserves after starting in the pack for last year's victory. And of course, Stephanie Hancock, who I think must be like a thousand years old now, is not playing this year. The Blues have had a few changes after losing last year. Um, in the back line, it's mostly just cosmetic changes. Uh, they've kept the same fullback, Bo v- Vetti Walsh. Um, Jessica Sergis has moved into the centers and Tiana, Tiana Penitani has moved onto the wing. So they've essentially swapped positions. Isabel Kelly, one of their best players is in the centers and Yasmin Meeks, who was on the bench last year, comes onto the wing. Uh, at 5-8, they've got Corbin Baxter, who has changed her surname from McGregor and Maddie Studden, who was in that courageous 2019 victory at North Sydney Oval, but mysteriously omitted from last year's game has been recalled and I think that's a bit in for New South Wales. Uh, the forward pack's a little bit different. They've got the same front rowers in uh, Seema Taufa and of course Millie Boyle. Um, Kylie Hilda, who I think played last year in hooker at the age of 44, uh, she is no longer there. She is the coach now, so she's replacing Andrew Patmore. Uh, Keely Davis has taken her spot at hooker. Kezi Apps is the captain with Hannah Southwell at lock. Uh, coming into the second row is Sarah Tokatuki, uh, who was on the bench last year. She replaces Shaley Bent. Quincy Dodd and Philomena Hanasi uh, have retained their spots on the bench, joined by Kennedy Cherryton and Holly Wheeler, with Bridie Parker and Renee Target named amongst the reserves. As far as I can see, looking at those teams, which some of them are a bit of a mouthful with uh, with some of the uh, Pacifica names, and I apologise to anyone I've got their names wrong with, um, I think Queensland has the strength in the spine, particularly with Ali Brickenshaw playing at lock and as captain for Queensland. She's usually a halfback, but having her at lock allows them to have Zahara Tamara and Taryn Aiken in the same team, which means that with Aiken on one side of the ruck, Tamara on the other, and Brigginshaw acting as that middle link, uh, I think it's going to be a really, really strong point for Queensland this this year. And of course, Tamika Upton at fullback is a huge strength. So Queensland certainly have the edge in the, in the spine, although Maddie Studd and coming back in for New South Wales is a big in. New South Wales probably have the edge out wide with Jessica Surges, Isabel Kelly, and Tiana Penitani, of course. Uh, a couple of speedsters there in Surges and Penitani, and Isabel Kelly is just robust as heck. Um, and in the forward packs, I would say fairly even, uh, although I do like the looks of Millie Boyle at front row for New South Wales, Kezi Apps in the back row, and of course, Hannah Southwell, who had a really, really good game last year at lock. So all in all, as a Queensland man, I'm probably going to go with Queensland, of course, for the tip, but I'm a little bit less confident than I was last year. I think uh, Surges into centre is a really, really good move for New South Wales, having Surges and Kelly as as edge options and having Maddie Studden in there at halfback to sort of pull all the strings um, makes makes them a much more uh, evenly balanced threat, I think, across the field. So uh, I think Queensland in a close one. And my MVP will be Tamika Upton, the fullback. Friendy, you're a, you're a blue bagger. I assume you'll be backing in the Blues ladies. Of course, yeah, I'll be sticking with the Blues ladies. Uh, the returning Maddie Studden will be my MVP, and I'll go the Blues by uh, two. So a nice close one, which we all will be hoping for, for sure. Kieran, uh, are you staying true to your Queensland roots, and, uh, and who do you have as player of the match? 
I am staying true to my uh, Queensland roots, but I have to say the the way the New South Wales women players responded after they lost last year, um, I don't recall seeing that much emotion from a, a losing side before, and I thought it, it was quite refreshing to see. I, I don't recall seeing it from... Uh, in the the men's competition too much uh obviously they're devastated when they lose but i, I just thought it, it struck a different chord the way that they uh reacted i think they'll be very hungry but i am going to tip queensland the broncos women's team won the the grand final last year i'm not 100 percent sure but i do believe quite a few of those players are playing for this maroons team and i'll go to mika upton as man of the match as well player of the match of course <laughs> player. yeah player yeah. sorry <laughs> I listened to Jamie Sauer talking about it uh, and and they were uh, he just kept saying yeah the New South Welshman and I'm like they're not men <laughs> they're, they're players they're from New South Wales uh, easy mistake to make and you're quite right a, a bunch of those Broncos are playing uh, for Queensland uh, this time around and you're right about the emotion by the way so Queensland were out to like 24 to 6 in, in with about 20 odd maybe 25 minutes left in last year's mm. game and then the Blues came home really hard uh, became 24-18 um, and then it, it, it got it got pretty tense uh, for a while there towards the end for the, like, the last 13 minutes or so uh, they did throw everything at it and of course they were the reigning champions New South Wales so a point to prove for sure should be a close one check it out wherever you watch your football uh, on Friday night now let's get into the men which is a big one Friendy, you've uh, you've already with Miles last week. Uh, not gloated too hard, of course. He probably could have gloated a bit more about how brilliant New South Wales were in Game One. There have been uh, well, very minimal changes to to New South Wales's lineup. It's pretty much just the injury to Jake Tavoyevich, which has forced a change. Uh, you would assume that means that Angus Crichton comes uh, onto the bench with Junior Paulo starting in the front row. Uh, and Apicorosau seems to be likely to keep his 18th man spot. Campbell Graham is still in the squad of 20. Uh, and Kolomitangi is not in the squad anymore. Dale Finucane and his insatiable form for the Storm has brought him in. Uh, first of all, are you happy with those changes to your Blues side? Yeah, certainly. Uh, I think any side that can't fit Dale Finucane in uh, is fairly strong. So, yeah, I think Angus Crichton, he would have been in there um, without getting suspended. So I wouldn't be surprised if he actually starts at um, on the right edge with Murray going back to the bench uh, come game night. It wouldn't surprise me. He's played a lot of, uh, spent a lot of time on the right hand side, um, especially when Cordner was around at the Roosters. So it's not very foreign to him. He, he's pretty adept, uh, adept at playing on the right side. So I would have thought Murray um, will drop back to the bench, and yeah, he'll be he'll be used through the middle of the field, which is his yeah regular sort of club role for the Bunnies. I have noticed that Angus Crichton uh, in the last couple of years has spent a bit of time in the middle and on the edge, a bit like a Tyson Frizzell kind of role um, for yep. the Roosters. Uh, so it is possible that they are just going to use him that way, I suppose. And, and Brad Fittler yep. not really known for his Ducks and Drakes last minute changes, is he? No, he's certainly not. They generally won to 17. Um, I guess that's just something I'd be looking to do. But, yeah, certainly Crichton in the middle as well. Um, he's got good leg speed, good footwork. So, um, yeah, he, he wouldn't be um, out of place in the middle either. 
And switching over to the Queensland side of things, obviously after a 50-6 drubbing, Kieran, uh, changes had to be made, as well as injury-enforced changes, by the way. So they, they weren't able to pick Ponga. He was he was ruled out. Uh, AJ Brimson has been ruled out with injury, as has Harry Grant. So those two weren't dropped. Uh, they were replaced, essentially. That's the hooker and the bench utility. While Jaden Sua, Joe Offerhand-Gowie, and Xavier Coates appear to be straight dropped. Um, so that's two bench forwards and a winger. Now, coming into that team is Andrew McCulloch at hooker. Uh, Cohen Hess retains his spot in the squad, of course. Uh, Francis Molo is going to make his debut off the bench, replacing Joe Offerhand Gaway, essentially. Uh, Josh Papali'i comes into the starting side, as you would expect, uh, returning from his... <laughs> uh, suspension that he was quite confused about <laughs> according to the report that you showed us um reese walsh is the big one really uh being picked at fullback and ronaldo Militalo is also in the squad um which is exciting news for him i think he's a really good player are you happy with the squad that queensland has picked uh given who's available Given who's available, uh, initially I definitely wasn't, and I've heard a few people say um, we've pretty much just got to throw whatever we have and, and see see if it works out. But I just at, at first I thought that's kind of the mentality that Paul Green had, and I thought that's definitely the the wrong way to look at it, especially with the selection of Andrew McCulloch. When I first saw that, I, I thought that that was a not the best way to go. I thought Hunt could have been picked at nine, and then Walsh on the bench. But then I, I don't want Holmes. Um, at fullback again defensively, but I, I don't know that Walsh is any better. I, the only thing I will say is uh, I'm now a little more positive about McCulloch given his uh, defensive qualities. Uh, I thought, yeah, uh, he, he, we need to shore up our defense early on and then bringing on Hunt around that 25-minute mark, it, it could prove pivotal with his attacking mindset, which only seems enhanced at nine, but that, that still makes me a bit iffy. Uh, given his attack and his kicking game, it probably, it, he'd be a weapon from the start. And I... Mm, I'm not sure how he uh, goes, how he uh, uh, racks up against McCulloch defensively, but I, I would have preferred Hunt to start. Um, but I, I'm I'm happy enough with McCulloch. Uh, Reese Walsh is going to have to. His talk is going to be crucial. He uh, isn't known, as I said, for his defensive qualities, um, but under the tutelage of Slater this week, I, I hope he he finds his voice and uh, he's very vocal in defence because um, we were we conceded a lot of tries on our edges, uh, so that's going to be quite crucial. And then I, I would have picked Hess in front of Molo, but I'm not too disappointed there. Um, the only thing I would say about that is Molo hasn't been as good this season, I believe, as. The last two seasons prior, I thought he was more deserving. Yeah, two seasons ago or last year, so I thought that was a bit a bit of an odd one. That the only thing I would say is that uh, he has aimed up for the Cowboys and he does have a, a big hit in him and a, a, a quite a strong carry. Um, so I think being a, a passionate Queenslander, he'll or just being passionate about playing Origin, uh, I, I think he'll bring that uh, into the game and that mentality. So. Um, all in all, I think it's probably just about how I would have had it. I would have brought your man Mulatalo in as well, though. I, I, I can't. I don't have a line through felt just yet, but uh, in a in a, such a complete must-win game, I think you have to play Mulatalo. I think that makes a lot more sense. Yeah, I, I would expect that if New South Wales do go on to win this game, which I'm sure a, a, a bunch of us are probably expecting to happen. Um, I would expect that Militala would probably give, be given his chance at that point. 
but I mean, time will tell, I guess. What I am curious about is that I, I too also would have picked Hess instead of Molo, but giving it some thought, Hess is the kind of guy that had maybe one good origin game out of how many has he played now? Seven, eight? Yeah, um, enough. He goes missing a fair bit at that level historically, and yes, he has been probably misused, but that's, you know, I mean, you still got to turn up for your state and do your job. Now, Francis Molo hasn't been given the opportunity yet, but he doesn't seem like the kind of guy that's going to go missing. Uh, he might mm-hmm. make a mistake. He might miss a tackle, but he's not going to go missing. He's going to try. And uh, I think of all the bench forwards that Queensland have there, I think he's probably the most likely to make, you know, 100 metres or something like that. Uh, I, I do not expect him to, to uh, leave anything in the tank, uh, which is... His nickname, actually, Frank the Tank. So yeah. I don't expect him to leave anything in, in Frank the Tank as such. Um, I am curious about something, though. Friendy, uh, the big news, obviously, out of this Queensland selection is Reese Walsh. As a Blues fan, are you licking your lips or are you perhaps um, maybe agreeing with Mark Geyer even that this is all part of some <laughs> misdirection from the Maroons, some evil plan to have the spotlight taken off the likes of Munster, Welch, Papa Lee, Cherry Evans. Uh, what's your thoughts on that? I like that you're just rattling off your, your big names there, Bo. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I support the Walsh uh, inclusion. I, I, I can't believe everyone's just losing their mind and all that sort of stuff. At the moment, I think he's, to be honest, I think he's your best option. I, I understand he's only played seven games. I had a bit of a look... Um, back in history and, and Fox Sports did a bit of a if you're good enough you're old enough um, sort of article and there was a few names in there but the one that they didn't sort of get was Cameron Smith back in 2003 he was he was 19 turning 20 he'd only played 17 NRL games and a few of them were at halfback mm-hmm. um, it was game three they picked him at hooker um, obviously they'd already lost the first two games anyway Queensland um, and they they won the game 36-6 and I guess the rest is history for Cameron Smith so um, there are guys that will handle it um, and I think Walsh I, I don't think it'll it it'll be a blowout again I actually think this game will be much closer I think it'll be um, much more forward orientated in the middle of the field mm. and I think if you've got to take your opportunities when you're in good ball, and I think someone like Reese Walsh, he, he, well, he hasn't learned to miss yet, so mm. um, he's he's pretty fearless, and and I'm yeah, I, I think he's a great selection. So I'm not sure um, what all the sort of carry-ons about. I, I what I like about it is that it puts Valentine Holmes on the wing. I think uh, a few years ago, before yep, he left to the NFL, he was probably the best winger in the world. Um, would yep. be not crazy. And, and, and nowadays, it's definitely Josh Adokar. But uh, Valentine Holmes has that ability. He, he, can, he, can, he can actually ch- turn a game from the wing. Yep. Uh, so well, I think that's a good, it's, good move too. Yeah, it's, it's a yardage game origin. So Val is going to make more meters on the wing, as you saw, um, obviously, Brian Toto on debut. Um, Basically, the winger's job is to make as many metres as he can out of yardage and finish tries um, up the other end. That That's it. And Val's very, very good at that. And the fact that they've picked Walsh and they can move Holmes out there, I think, really helps Queensland. We were, Kieran, were you surprised that they stuck with Kurt Capewell uh, at centre, particularly after he was given a bit of a 
bath by Tom Trevojevic or do you put Turbo's performance down not necessarily to the Capewell matchup and more to the fact that he basically just played like a fullback and was matched up against a whole bunch of other people? Um, uh, yeah, I mean, he did have a blinder and uh, he he was everywhere. That would have been a bit confusing for Kurt Capewell defensively, but he's just not a centre, um, Capewell. I wouldn't have picked him there again. Um, he does have an attacking prowess, especially at, uh, it, well, at, at second row or centre. It doesn't really seem to phase him too much. He, he can create from there, but uh, I just would have... I, he picked McCulloch to go a bit more defensively. I, I would have picked someone else at centre to go a bit more defensive-minded. We've already got Walsh, Holmes, Gagai, Felt. They can attack plenty. Uh, I think someone else, I don't know who, Opacic or, or Chambers or, or uh, well, not Hammer because he's not as defensive-minded, but Chambers <laughs> or uh, Chambers or Opacic would have been, um, I think that, that would have made a bit more sense. Um, yeah. Yeah, interesting one. That means they probably wouldn't have found room for a guy like Frank Molo um, because Jai Arrow then would not have been playing on an edge. Uh, what do you make of that, by the way, Kieran? Are you happy enough with Jai Arrow on the edge where he doesn't play a lot of football, uh, pushing for feeder back to the bench? Uh, I don't think Jai Arrow is as effective at second row. Um he always aims up in origin, I will say, though. So hopefully he uh, wants to get his hands dirty and uh, the, the, the forwards share their load a bit. Um, I, I wouldn't have picked him at, at, at second row, though. He's not a line runner as such. You don't see him score that many tries. Uh, I, I think Fafi- Dave Fafito had to go back to the bench, though. So maybe it makes a bit more sense then because we are lean on numbers. Um yeah, I guess I'm happy enough with it. Uh, and, and it makes our forward pack look quite, uh, at least uh, in size, quite formidable. Yeah, you, and like, Frenda, you mentioned the fact that uh, you expect it to be a much closer game, particularly a, a forward battle. Looking at the forward packs, uh, I think the, the main gap in terms of ability, at least, is probably at hooker. Because for the rest of it, you'd say player for player, Queensland probably matches up to New South Wales pretty well. Yeah, it's certainly, like, attacking-wise, I guess, Cook's certainly a better option than McCulloch. But as Kieran mentioned before, McCulloch defensively, he's rock solid. He he made 62 from 62 tackles uh, just a couple of weeks ago. He's, yeah, if if they're looking to um, shore up that defence in the middle of the field, which it looks like that's what they're doing, especially by picking someone like an arrow um, in the back row as well and Mm -hmm. McCulloch in... Um, in the middle of the field, I, I think he, he's a good selection there. So Cook, Cook can only run if the forwards give him that option. Um, if Queensland are defending well and winning the ruck, then then Cook may be a non-factor as well. So yeah, it, it looks a mismatch on paper, but it, it may not be come game night. Good point. Uh, and uh, let's not forget the fact that I mean, you know, Ben Hunt is not Harry Grant, and McCulloch is probably not Jake Friend. But in terms of what they're going to offer this team strategically, they're quite similar. And in Game 3 last year, uh, that combination worked really, really well with Friend taking the, uh, you know, to use a cricket expression, Friendy, the shine off the ball a little bit um, yeah, yep. as an opener. And then Harry Grant came on and ran amok um, and would have been player of the match if not for Munster just putting on a clinic. <laughs> so that particular combination, you might find that McCulloch and, and Hunt, like McCulloch may well play 80 and, and Hunt might 
you know, come on and do a lot of the dummy half duties in attack once he comes onto the field. But McCulloch may well be a lock, uh, which might force Tino Fatsu Maliawi out to an edge, perhaps, where he can be quite damaging and has been in the past for the Storm. Um, so I actually, you know, I've come around to it. I, I initially liked the idea of Marnie being picked with Grant on the bench. Um, and this is the next best thing for me. I, I think, um, you know, with Grant not available, with Marnie not available, this is the combination that makes a lot of sense. Friendy, if, if the Blues are going to win the series in Brisbane, what are they going to... Well, how are they going to do it? How, how are they going to win this game? Well, obviously, the back line is, um, has some incredible strike out there. So you'd be looking to um, win that middle of the field with our forwards. And, um, and I think our bench is another strength again. It was a strength in game one. So Payne Haas, um, your video of the try analysis, Bo, um, that was, yeah, featured Payne Haas heavily with quick play the balls in the middle of the field and then um, the hooker halves and, and the back line did the rest from there. So I would have thought... Um, our back line and our halves are our strength and, and our bench as well. So as long as the pack can get somewhere even or or maybe slightly in front, then I think, yeah, there, there's just too many points in the guys out wide. Yeah, I, I expect the, the difference in leg speed to be a, a big thing. And, and you're right, I, I did, like, I was editing the video and that's when I kind of noticed it was... Wow, he like, yep. he's he's always playing the ball for these for these tries. And if you watch the Seagulls play when Tommy is there, uh, you'll find that uh, what will usually happen is you have your play one front rower to you know make a dent. The play two front rower will get the quick play the ball, and then Tommy's got the next hit up, and he's playing it like yep. a front rower almost uh, just yep. to try and cash in. Now with the Blues, they've got Cook, who you know when he sees one marker or zero markers, he's thinking run. Tedesco mm. is aware to that and then you've got Turbo also aware to that uh, that is a huge threat so uh, if Queensland Kieran are to get the job done you'd have to think it happens in the middle surely yeah exactly right I think I've said before that was the blueprint for Origin 3 last year we won off the back of our forwards and uh, I actually think um, if we can be uh, either in the lead or, or uh, sure, I would think it would be quite tight after the 25, 30 minute mark and we can bring on Hunt and Fafita. Um, that's a bit of X factor off the bench after our forwards have hopefully set a bit of fatigue into the blues. Um, yeah, we, we need to make it a grinding dogfight. That's our, our best uh, way of winning. And then Munster needs to run the ball. Uh, he didn't really run it as much um, in game one, although our, our forward pack did get a, a pretty good beating. Um, that's the thing about the Blues, though. Their, their whole back line sort of acted as a uh, another forward pack for them in game one. Um, mm. I can't. Anthony Seabold touched on it on the game plan, but um, I think Tboyevich, Teddy, between the two of them, they took the, th- the first three or four hit-ups of the, the whole game, um, and that trend continued throughout. Um, so I think... Our backs sort of need to share the load a little bit um, with the forwards, and hopefully we can, I think, yeah, the only way that we're going to win this one is uh, bashing them into submission. And then Monster's kicking game in Game 3 last year, I think that that probably went a little uh, under the radar. Um, if, you, if you watched it back, uh, I'm sure you guys would have noticed, but uh, uh, a lot of people, I think, missed just how good it was. He took the majority of the kicks, and uh, he mm. kicked for about 450 metres, um, always kicked to the corner, found the grass quite often. Uh, yeah, our, our kicking game, McCulloch can kick as well. I think if our forwards can make it that that grinding tight match, uh, get a bit of a roll on. Um, and then that's when I, I would like to see Ben Hunt to come on, though. I just think, um, as friends said, 
the Blues backline is that good. They don't really need to take every single chance that they get. Um, they can afford to probably miss one or two try try opportunities. I, I don't think Queensland can. I think they need to pretty much take every chance they get. So I'd like to see Hunt come in at hooker uh, around the 30-minute mark for a bit more spark and attack. Yeah, I think that's a good call. Uh, and you, you're right about the kicking game. I think that's actually an advantage that Queensland has is is just Munster. Uh, he's, he's a much more dominant kicker than Luai is. So uh, for the Blues, Cook doesn't kick much. Tedesco doesn't kick much. Whiten probably won't see much game time unless there's an injury. So it really falls to Cleary. Um, now, with the Maroons, you'd probably say that Munster and Cherry Evans will share it fairly evenly. Hunt has a good kicking game, as does McCulloch, as you've mentioned. Not to mention the fact that Reese Walsh also has quite a good kicking game, particularly close to the line with high kicks or, or grubbers. So the blue, sorry, the Maroons' ability to hopefully find space, repeat sets, and, and things like that, being able to kick on both sides of the ruck um, equally well, I think that could be strategically something that the, the Maroons are looking to do and I'm glad that you picked up on Munster's kicking game there um, Friendy I, I trust that you're going to tip the Blues here um, by how much do you reckon you said it'd be a bit closer than 44 that's probably a pretty safe bet um, yeah. who, who's scoring the first try and and who's your MVP well, I'm going to stick with the hot hand. It paid off last uh, last match, and I, I got Tommy Turbo up. So mm-hmm. I'm going to stick with Tommy. Um, I think on that left edge for Queensland with Arrow in the back row, Capewell at centre, um, I think as long as Cleary generally, he, he loves that play where he skips across the opposition back rower, um, creates that overlap, and Teddy out the back, he, he's he's got two options. He's going to hit Tommy Turbo one-on-one or, or the Fox out wide unmarked. So I'm going to go... Yeah, give it to the big kid, um, and and Tommy will crash over. Yeah. And then for men of the match, oh, and result, uh, result. I have over New South Wales twenty four twelve. I think it'll be a much closer game. I just think that little bit of class uh, from the Blues will will come out in the end. But I think the battle early, um, especially that opening twenty minutes, I, I expect Queensland to come out absolutely firing. And and I think I've gone a bit left field with the the man of the match um, here but I think the big alpha male of this arena and I think he'll prove it on uh, Sunday night is is Daniel Safidi so I think um, big DSAF will, will grab man of the match a little bit of a uh, little bit of night's love there for, for Daniel Safidi <laughs> but he is a he is a a play one forward for the Blues that that really uh, really does bend the line and and and, and finds a deceptively quick play of the ball and yeah, is, is also a threat a lot yep yeah, he's a threat close to the light as well. So, a uh, bit of a triple threat there, Daniel Saifiti. I, I actually don't pay much attention to him in defence, uh, but uh, that probably he, is a sign that he's not missing much. Yeah, he he um he actually whacked a few blokes uh, in game one. And if you notice, if you do happen to watch the game again, there's probably a replay about before the next game. He led um, at least three of our kick chases down there. So for a front rower early in the game, uh, I think it really sets the tone. And his second stint was really good as well, um, jagged a try. So yeah, I, I think that was probably his best game in this arena. He's uh, he's played seven games now. So yeah, I expect him to come out and, and really um, show how good he is on, on Sunday night. Well, the Maroons will be going down the middle, so if the Blues are to prevail by 12 points, like you predict, it's probably a pretty good bet that he'll be right amongst the action. So it's a good call. Uh, Kieran, 
heart says maroons. What does head say? <laughs> a heart still says maroons, obviously. Uh, but the head, uh, the head was thinking New South Wales, and then maybe uh, the maroons have some sort of a chance. Um, the closer this game gets. Uh, the tighter I think it'll be, but I have to go New South Wales. And uh, if I'm Cleary, I'm testing the Maroons with a, a few of his specialty wedge kicks that land midway between the goalpost and the sideline. Uh, side Given the diminutive, diminutive size of Walsh, uh, I just think inside the 20-meter attacking zone, he'll be putting up a few of those. Uh, and then you've got Gagai, Capewell, Arrow, not the tallest of guys out there defending it up against the likes of Turbo and uh, Teddy. So I think I'll go Teddy for first try scorer. Um, and I've got him actually. Oh, I've got Ed O'Carr for first. I'll just go with Teddy though for from one of those wedge kicks. Uh, and I'll say Teddy for man of the match as well. Uh, New South Wales by 10. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go New South Wales by 18, uh, which would be a much improved performance from Queensland and it would be a much better game. Uh, I expect it to be a real contest uh, until maybe 10 or 15 minutes after halftime. And then I expect the Blues depth of their bench particularly uh, and the size of their, of their forwards. And I expect that to be the difference. Uh, I hope I'm wrong, of course, uh, because not only would it be great to see Queensland win as a Queenslander, but also just to have a, a decider uh, for game three down in New South Wales, that would be a huge event. And friendly, I assume you'd be, you'd have tickets secured for that one already, wouldn't you? Yep. Yep. Um, certainly I'll be in the Blatchy Blues for game three. Um, yeah, I'll be at, Strathfield pub at about 3.30 and then head off to the game Yeah, after that so um, it'll be good fun and, and hopefully fingers crossed it's a yeah we're looking for a, a blue wash 3-0 well yeah I suppose you're going to have fun either way aren't you but uh, it, it would add a bit of intrigue at least to the game if Queensland do manage to spring an upset here and then get the likes of Harry Grant AJ Brimson maybe even Kalen Ponga back available for selection. Uh, it, it could well be uh, something. But yeah, I do have the Blues by 18. Um, I'm going to go with Tariq Sims for first try scorer. There's something there's something about the way he played the other night. And I, I do expect maybe a crash over try uh, for the first try scoring move of the game. Um, I do like, Kieran, your call about uh, the kick being the mm. being the option for the first try, I also think that they will swing to the right a lot, friendy. So they're both very much on the cards. But the the, the attritional battle that I expected to be early on, I expect Tariq Sims to maybe be the one to crash over first. So that'll be my left field punt there. Uh, as for MVP, I'm going to go with Cleary. Um, I, I expect that once. Once the dust has settled on the on the forward battle that we're all expecting, uh, it'll be clear his class that will put them over the line. And especially, as I said, he'll be doing the majority of the king. Uh, he's the he's the main general. He will have to make twenty five or thirty tackles if the Queensland are executing their game plan. Um, and you know he's been in pretty good try scoring form himself, Mister Cleary. And uh, I expect that he'll have a very strong game. So uh, he'll be my MVP. Let's talk about bold predictions. There's only really a couple of games to choose from for this week for bold predictions. You could go with the the women's state of origin on Friday night, or you could go with the men's game two on Sunday. Friendy, what is 
What's what's going to happen this this week? What's what's your bold prediction? <laughs> I don't know how bold it is, um, but I've got three of the four wingers to score on Sunday night, so I'm not sure which three. Um, I'll, I'm, yeah, but I've got three of the four wingers to, to crash over. Yeah, well, with recent form, you'd suggest that Josh Adokar won't be. <laughs> it'll be it'll be Tor, yeah. Holmes, and Felt. Um, there's your twelve points for Queensland right there. Holmes and Felt, uh, and then Tor <laughs> will score three after Tavoyevich scores the first. So that'll be that'll be a perfect little week for you. Uh, all right, cool. Three out of four uh, ain't so bad. Kieran, what's your bold prediction? Uh, well, off the back of the fact that uh, the Queensland have to win uh, through the forward pack, I've got Welch, Papali'i, Arrow, Fotoweka, and Fa'asua Malayawi all to run for 100 metres plus, but it won't be enough as New South Wales reclaim the shield. Or, yeah, reclaim the shield. Yes, and that will, by the way, trigger one of Mr. Friend's previous bold predictions, which had uh, has the the winner of game one winning the series. So uh, I think there's a very good chance of that, particularly with a potential decider in New South Wales anyway. My bold prediction, uh, I, I expect Cameron Munster. And before I before I jump into my bold prediction, I suppose, uh, Friendy, I wanted to ask you as a, as a Blues fan, are you at all worried about Cameron Munster, given how quiet he's been at club level and at origin level, that he might just snap and absolutely have a blinder? Yeah, of course. Cameron Munster at Suncorp Stadium, he's an absolute rock star. Um, of, of course, yeah. He, he's the of the the most concern um, from the Queensland side for, for me as a Blues fan. So, um, But having said that, they need the platform to him for him to be able to play. So... Um, it'll be one in the middle, but if they do have an equal share of ball, um, yeah, Munster would be the, the main concern for me, yep. Yeah, and that was the scene for his uh, origin debut in Game 3 of 2017 where I was so pissy. I was so pissy that they put him at 5-8 and put Michael Morgan at left centre when they've <laughs> each done the, they've done the opposite at club level and how wrong I was. It was like that time that I was furious about Steve Smith making an Ashes squad in 2013. Uh, <laughs> like, just like, and I, I got really mad on social media about both of them and look at me yep. now. Um, <laughs> so my, my bold prediction is that uh, although Queensland probably won't win and may not come too close to a victory, I do expect Cameron Munster uh, to awaken somewhat and score a try and also have a try assist. And, uh, if he is able to do that in the first hour or so of the game, you can expect that it will be close enough if Queensland are good enough. Um, and, you know, hopefully that'll make for a good Sunday night's viewing. Uh, and and good luck to both teams, both states, uh, for the women's state of origin and for the men's state of origin. But guys, as we close this particular segment, I do have to say, go the Maroons. Go the Maroons. Go the Blues. No. <laughs> No, go the Maroons. And there's only one voice for the Blues this week, so no miles means that the Maroons are going to come within 44 points of the Blues. Above the Horizontal is brought to you by the Pioneer Australia. Find them on Facebook or at www.pioneeraustralia.wordpress.com. The panellists are Miles Stedman, Kieran Gibson and Daniel Friend. 
and it's hosted and produced by me, Bo Nicholson.